It's the story to end all stories, at least as far as supernatural mysteries in St. Louis go. It's a story we've all heard about, but one for which few substantial accounts seem to exist. It's the story of a possessed young boy in exorcism and the devil coming to St. Louis in 1949. It's appeared in books, magazine articles, and documentaries, but mostly it's been a bizarre mixture of urban legends, half-truths, and outright lies that date back over the last 70 years. But as we told you over the last four episodes of the podcast, we're hoping to straighten things out for you and try to get to the bottom of the mystery that has haunted St. Louis for all these years. This is part five of our look into the St. Louis exorcism story. So if you're joining us for the first time, we suggest you go back to episode 29 where the story begins. Everything about this story is confusing enough. We don't mean to make it any worse by having you start in the middle. In our last episode, Father Bowdern desperately tried to bring an end to Robbie Doe's possession, moving him back and forth between several different locations and even traveling back home with him to Maryland, where he hoped to find a secure place where the boy could be locked up while the exorcism continued. As the terrible events progressed, Robbie became more and more violent, to the point that it became unsafe for him to be left at his relative's home in Belnor. Unable to find a place for him, Father Bowdern returned the boy to St. Louis and to the confines of a security room at the Alexian Brothers Hospital. It would be behind those locked doors that the exorcism would continue. Some of the most horrifying events of the entire ordeal occurred behind those brick walls, events that must have later inspired William Peter Blatty when he wrote the book, The Exorcist. But of course, Blatty's book was a novel based on a story that was said to be true. And as far as we know, it was a true story. Was Robbie Doe really possessed? You're probably still asking yourself that question, so we'll do our best to help you come up with an answer. In this series, within a series, we've gathered the evidence and we've presented it so that you can decide for yourself. We're almost to the end of the story, so you only have to keep an open mind for a little while longer. When it's over, you can decide for yourself what you think happened in 1949. We know that something happened to that young boy and his family. Devil or delusion? Well, that'll be up to you to decide. Keep listening and keep all the lights turned on. The end is near. Welcome to the latest episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, our second season explores the history, mystery, and hauntings of St. Louis, Missouri, the most haunted city along the Mississippi River. Palm Sunday, 1949, Robbie returned to St. Louis and to the Alexian Brothers Hospital. This was Father Bowdern's last resort, but if there was any one place where Robbie could be saved, it was this hospital. 
After Robbie's arrival in the same fifth floor security room where he had spent a single night, a constant stream of Alexian brothers came to his room to greet him with kind words and to try to put him at ease. Brother Cornelius, the hospital rector, arranged for prayers to be held for Robbie in the chapel. All day and night, monks filed in and out of the chapel to kneel and pray for the one they only knew as the boy on the fifth floor. One of the monks, who had been a young man at the time, was Brother Greg Holowinski, who I met in 2014, shortly before his death. He wanted to tell his story and talk about what he'd seen in St. Louis that spring, a story he'd never told before. He was the last living witness to the exorcism. He saw Robbie's incredible strength and the bizarre events that occurred in the room. On one occasion, he barely got out of the way of a flying glass pitcher that had launched itself at him from the other side of the room. There had been no one near it at the time. Brother Greg even tried to force Robbie's body back down onto the bed one night when he levitated in the air more than 18 inches. He was absolutely convinced that Robbie was possessed. While Robbie was getting settled at the hospital, Father Bowdern was conducting Palm Sunday Mass at St. Francis Xavier. In addition to the exorcism, he still had many responsibilities that had to be dealt with. There were times when he worried that he was too exhausted to continue. His brother, Dr. Edward H. Bowdern, later stated that Father Bowdern looked terrible. As a physician, he noticed things that most people would not. The weight loss, the dark circles under his eyes from lack of sleep, and most shocking, the boils that have appeared on the priest's arms. He urged his brother to let him examine him, but Father Bowder dismissed his concerns. Father Bowder, keeping his vow of secrecy, never told anyone in his family about the exorcism. It would not be until many years later that Dr. Bowder would discover why his brother had been so sick in the spring of 1949. After the services were concluded, Father Bowdern, Father Bishop, and Father Van Roo went to the hospital to see Robbie. The boy seemed calm and untroubled, which was not what they expected. Robbie had been reading quietly when the priests had entered the room. Rather than wait for bedtime when the spells usually began, Father Bowdern decided to start the exorcism prayers right away. On this night, they produced no response from the boy. Robbie even joined in reciting the rosary and then took communion before falling asleep around 11 p.m. Palm Sunday had passed in peace, and Father Bowdern began to hope that the power of Holy Week was helping to force the demon out of the boy once and for all. On Monday, one of the brothers on the ward instructed Robbie to clean his room and then brought him along as the monk made his rounds throughout the ward. This became a routine for Robbie. During the day, he helped with odd jobs and then, under the supervision of monks, continued to study his catechism. Father Bowdern wanted his instruction in the Catholic faith to continue, and he could not have found a better place for it, nor a better group of men to continue it. The hospital was a quiet, prayerful place. A crucifix hung in each room, and in the morning and evening, loudspeakers broadcast prayers led by the chaplain throughout the building. The Alexians were a kind, cheerful, and essentially tireless group. They combined their faith with a commitment to provide compassionate care for their patients. The brothers did not read newspapers and did not speak at meals in the communal dining hall. Each man worked for eight hours each day and spent about another eight hours in prayer and meditation. They refrained from idle conversation and began each day at sunrise, praying for an hour before doing anything else. In order to accommodate their religious schedule, the monks hired laymen, staff workers, and nurses to work in the hospital. Many of them were recruited as young people from a local orphanage, and all of them were trained by the Alexians. All the staff members and nurses were men and were absolutely loyal to the brothers. 
The exorcism was an official secret, but the staff members knew something dire was happening on the fifth floor. Years later, many of them spoke of the strange sounds, smells, and noises that emanated from the security room. The Alexians balanced their religious devotion with their medical training. It's been said that Brother Cornelius called in a non-Catholic pediatrician to examine Robbie during his stay at the hospital. He asked if the doctor could offer a natural explanation for his condition. The pediatrician looked at Robbie's strange cuts, watched his sudden mood shifts, convulsions, weird spells, and even supposedly saw some objects move about the room in his presence. He reported back to Brother Cornelius, and legend has it he stated very sincerely, I can't give you a natural explanation for this. On Monday evening, Father Bowdern, Father Van Roo, Father Bishop, and Walter Halloran entered Robbie's room. They brought with them some books, magazines, and some Catholic readers to keep Robbie busy. The small group chatted for a while, and then Father Bowdern began the exorcism prayers again. Once more, they were uninterrupted. Relieved, Father Bowdern closed the prayer book and took his rosary beads from his pocket. He had only just begun to recite the prayer when Robbie suddenly screamed and clutched at his chest. Dark red blood was seeping through his hospital gown. When it was open, they saw that large letters that spelled out EXIT were cut into his body. Moments later, a long scratch in the shape of an arrow materialized on his skin. It pointed down his chest in the direction of his groin. The same word eventually appeared in three different places on Robbie's body that night. Walter Halloran remembered the incident decades later and was sure that Robbie could not have done it with his fingernails. They had been watching him the entire time. Robbie screamed again. This time the pain was coming from inside of his body, he said. He was burning. Suddenly, he began to urinate in a wild stream. Robbie wept as he did so, crying that it was hurting him. Father Bowdard hated to see the boy in pain, but the urination gave him great hope. In many historical cases of possession, demons had exited from their victims through urination. He hoped that's what was happening in Robbie's case. He decided to strengthen Robbie's resolve by offering him Holy Communion. But at the mere mention of it, the boy began to bark, howl, and scream. Several Alexians, including Brother Greg, pinned him to the bed and restrained him with leather straps. Robbie fought against them, and as he did, his gown fell open to reveal more marks and words on his body, including the word hell, which was on his chest and thigh. As Father Bowdern prayed, Robbie's body thrashed about and more scratches manifested on his skin. Since Robbie reacted with the most violence at the mention of communion, Father Bowdern doubled down, shouting out the words that accompanied the ritual. As he leaned down close to the boy's face, Robbie's hand slipped from the restraints and he punched the priest squarely in the testicles. How'd you like that for a nutcracker? Robbie let out a cackling laugh. As Father Bowdern staggered back to catch his breath and probably to keep from puking and passing out, the monks quickly got Robbie back into his restraints. Father Bowdern began to speak about the Last Supper, where just before he was crucified, Jesus instituted the sacrament of Holy Communion. Father Bishop wrote that as Father Bowdern spoke, more scratches appeared on Robbie's legs. He believed they were in protest to the idea of communion. Father Bowdern brought the host to Robbie's bedside, but the boy refused to accept it. With his eyes pinched shut, he turned his face toward the priests, and in a voice that Father Bishop called the devil's voice, he growled, I will not allow him to receive it. Father Bowdern tried several times to place the host into Robbie's mouth, but each attempt was greeted by thrashing, biting, 
barking and howling. The priest finally gave up and decided to bestow spiritual communion on the boy instead. He explained that Robbie only had to ask to receive Christ and it would happen. Robbie began to speak, pausing and faltering as if it were nearly impossible for him to get the words out. Before he could do it, though, he screamed and began to curse, terrifying the Alexians in the room who'd never witnessed anything like it before. The screams were heard throughout the entire ward, chilling the staff, nurses, and doctors. They'd never heard anything like it, and they worked on a mental ward. And then it was over. Robbie collapsed and fell into an exhausted sleep. He didn't wake up. Father Bowdern weakly knocked on the door to be released from the room. The weary Jesuits stumbled into the corridor. Father Bishop was so tired he did not even make a note of what time the exorcism came to an end that night. And on Tuesday, of course, they were back. Robbie had spent an uneventful day. At night, he could terrify grown men, but during the day, he acted completely normal and claimed to have no memory of the events that occurred the night before. He usually spent the day reading comics, doing odd jobs with the monks on the ward, or playing board games with nursing students who filled in as assistants. But when the priests returned that night, Robbie had already entered one of his trances. He was lying on the bed with his eyes closed, twitching and jerking. He was obviously no longer the good-natured boy who spent peaceful days on the ward. Father Bowdern began to pray, waiting for the responses from the other men in the room. It was no longer just the Jesuits. The Alexians were praying with them and offered whatever help they could. As they prayed, Robbie began arching his back, straining his body, screaming and groaning. Father Bowdern continued to read, and when he reached the first command, he switched to English, which he had started doing after learning that it seemed to aggravate the demon inside of Robbie. A harsh voice from the boy interrupted him. Stick it up your ass, it cried, and it began the creepy, high-pitched, repetitive laugh that had become so eerily familiar to everyone in the room. Then the laughter stopped. The voice changed to a deep-throated rumble that gave them all chills. It growled at them as it spoke. I am the devil. I will make him awake, and he will be pleasant. You will like him. Robbie's eyes snapped open, and he smiled and looked around. He was again the boy that the Jesuits liked so much that the Alexians had become so fond of. He was the boy that they had read stories with, played games with, and told silly jokes to. But a moment later, he was gone. Robbie's body tensed, and he pulled at the leather restraints, and the voice returned. I am the devil. I will wake him up, and he will be awful. Robbie's eyes opened again, and this time he was angry. He was annoyed at the men holding his arms and bothering him. He did not seem to be under any spell. He was like the boy they'd also encountered in the past, the whining, irritable boy who wanted to have things his way and didn't want to do chores or schoolwork. He complained loudly as the exorcism continued, but then that boy was gone again. As Father Bowder prepared for communion, the horrible voice returned and stated that it would not allow Robbie to have it. But then it was gone, but so was Robbie. He fell into a deep sleep, and the priests were unable to awaken him. That night's exorcism came to an abrupt and uncertain conclusion. Father Bowder didn't leave the room right away. He sat and meditated on the situation. After the many weeks that had passed, he'd come to the conclusion that Robbie was not being threatened during the morning or afternoon hours. The terror came for him at night. He knew that Robbie could be closer to God in the morning, so on Wednesday morning, he asked the hospital chaplain, Father Seraphim Whitman, to give Robbie communion. Father Whitman agreed and also offered to help Robbie continue with his church instruction. 
Father Bowder now had another ally in the hospital. Since Alexian brothers were not priests, they recruited chaplains from outside their order. Father Widman came from a small religious order called the Missionaries of the Most Precious Blood, and he had the unique position of being outside of the control of the archdiocese. This was necessary in order for him to be an objective evaluator of priests who were in the hospital suffering from alcohol or mental problems. He certified whether a priest who was undergoing treatment was spiritually capable of performing mass and ready to leave the hospital. This made Father Widman the priest who monitored other priests, a sort of internal affairs man for the archdiocese. Being outside of the control of the authorities, Father Whitman could have caused problems for Father Bowdern with the exorcism. The exorcism was taking place in a location that Father Whitman controlled, and it was being conducted in secret thanks to orders that Father Whitman was not required to follow. This could have been a jurisdictional problem for the Jesuits, but it didn't turn into one. Father Whitman was now part of the exorcism, no matter how long it might take. Robbie received communion on that Wednesday morning and then was surprised when Walter Halloran dropped to the hospital with an exciting offer. It was a warm spring day, he told Robbie, and he wanted to see if the boy would be interested in taking a ride in the country. Robbie eagerly accepted. The reason for the outing was simple. Halloran wanted to make up for the often brutal treatment he had to subject the boy to during the exorcism. Even though Robbie didn't remember any of it, Halloran always felt that Robbie somehow sensed the violence that occurred between them. Perhaps for this reason, Walter always felt Robbie disliked him and making him feel even more guilty for what he had to do to the boy to keep him on the bed during the exorcism. Getting out of the hospital for the day Walter believed would give them the chance to be friends. Robbie was checked out and into the custody of Walter Halloran and another Jesuit scholastic, Barney Hasbrook. The three of them drove to White House, a Jesuit retreat along the Mississippi River that dated back to 1922. Hasbrook drove and Halloran and Robbie sat in the back seat of the car as they made the trip south of the city and along the Mississippi. When they arrived, Robbie seemed thrilled to be out in the fresh air and sunshine, but only mildly interested in the limestone retreat house and the chapel. The Jesuits showed Robbie the relics of the North American martyrs that were enshrined in the walls of the chapel, and then they walked across the lawn toward the bluff. The view of the river and the farms of Illinois on the other side could only distract Robbie for a few minutes. Halloran was wishing for a baseball bat and a couple of gloves when he remembered the Stations of the Cross that were located on a path along the bluff. There, large white statues commemorated the last hours of Jesus as he carried the cross through the streets of Jerusalem to the place of his execution. He asked Robbie if he'd like to see the path after explaining to him what it was, and Robbie quickly agreed. Halloran led the way to the first station and told Robbie the story that went with it. He explained that Catholics would walk from station to station, genuflecting at each one, and then pausing for a moment to think about what had happened on the way to the cross. Robbie was intensely interested and eagerly asked about the next one. The three of them continued walking. There were 14 stations of the cross and Halloran began leading Robbie along the path, explaining the story behind each one of them. As they continued to walk though, Halloran felt more and more uneasy. The path ran very close to the edge of the river bluff and he was worried what might happen if Robbie's violent and strange behavior returned. 
Well, he didn't have to wait for long. Robbie's face started to change. Halloran couldn't pinpoint what it was at first, but something was definitely wrong. He turned to his friend Barney Hasbrook and told him that they needed to leave. But Halloran had noticed too late that Robbie was no longer himself. Suddenly, Robbie started to scream and run. He stumbled onto the lawn and launched himself toward the edge of the bluff that loomed over the river. Halloran sprinted toward him, tackled the boy, and tried to subdue him. Robbie fought like a wild animal, and it was not until Hasbrook arrived that they were able to pin him to the ground. Halloran had never seen Robbie behave this way during the daytime, and he was unsure of what to do. He and Barney half dragged and half carried the boy to the car and they threw him into the back seat. Halloran held Robbie down while Hasbrook drove. Halloran needed all of his strength. Robbie was fighting wildly. He battled the ferocious boy, but at one point Robbie broke free and lunged over the seat for the steering wheel. Hasbrook knocked his hands away and managed to keep them on the road until they got back to the hospital. Several of the Alexians helped to get Robbie back to his room and assisted in calming him down. He soon came out of his spell, and by the time that Father Bowdern arrived with the other Jesuits around 9 p.m., the boy was smiling and happy. Father Bowdern, although disturbed by Halloran's report from White House, took Robbie's calmness as a good sign, told everyone it was time to begin. Robbie lay back on the bed, and Halloran and Father Bishop knelt around it. Several Alexians remained nearby, ready to help if needed. As Father Bowdern began to read, Robbie immediately went into one of his now familiar rages. Halloran seized hold of him and three nearby monks moved quickly to help. Robbie seemed to calm a little under their restraint and he opened his mouth to speak. Once again, several of those in the room claimed that the voice did not belong to the young boy. That deep, hoarse voice said, God has told me to leave at 11 tonight, but not without a struggle. According to Father Bishop, Robbie then reacted with more violence than he had seen at any other time in the exorcism, which means it must have been insane. For the next 20 minutes, he jerked and thrashed, arching his body against the restraints and striking at his captors with his hands, nails, and teeth. The screams could be heard all over the hospital wing as Robbie Howell barked, cursed, and screeched. Several of the Alexians were forced to leave the room and patrol the rest of the ward. It was not uncommon for an outburst by an inmate to cause all of the other patients on the ward to become upset. Things became so bad that night that some of the most violent patients in the wing had to be restrained. It was like a contagion. Meanwhile, Father Bowdern continued with the prayers, often drowned out by the sound of Robbie's screams. When the time came, he translated the usual passage from Latin to English and demanded to know when the demon would depart. The voice responded with the usual, stick it up your ass, and then began to sing in a falsetto voice about sticking it up the ass. Father Bowdern ignored it. He finished the prayers and began to recite the rosary. All the men present joined in. At 10.45, 15 minutes before the promised departure of the demon, a church bell tolled. Robbie laughed and began to imitate the sound of the bell. When 11 p.m. came, the bell fell silent as everyone waited for the end of the session to come. The group was filled with anticipation, waiting for the demon to leave in whatever manner such things occurred. They waited but the moment never came. Instead, they were assaulted by Robbie's eerie laughter and another uncanny imitation of the church bell. They'd fallen for its lies again. The books had told them, never trust the word of the devil. 
The prayers continued and the Alexians kept reciting the rosary on one side of the room. The murmuring sound of their prayers gave the Jesuits more courage and hope than the stubborn men already possessed. Father Bowdern's courage prompted him to try and give Robbie communion as the bell tolled again at midnight. As Father Bowdern began the preparations, the deep voice once again came from Robbie's throat. I will not permit it, the voice growled at him. Father Bowdern tried to place the host into the boy's mouth many times, but each attempt ended with failure. Robbie refused to open his mouth, or when he did, he snapped at the priest with his teeth. Finally, Father Bowdern resorted to spiritual communion again and began to encourage Robbie to say the words in invitation to Christ. But the horrible voice simply roared with laughter. Just then, though, Robbie seemed to awaken. He struggled to say that he wanted to take communion. He stammered through the entire sentence, but was unable to say the word communion. The session ended for the night when Robbie fell into a deep sleep. The next morning, Holy Thursday, Robbie met with Father Widman, who experienced no problems offering him communion. Later in the afternoon, Walter Halloran dropped by, and he and Robbie sat and talked about what Holy Week was all about. Robbie was interested, so he began telling him about the meaning behind Holy Communion and the Last Supper. While he was speaking, Robbie began to shift back and forth on the bed, shaking his legs up and down. Halloran asked him what was wrong. My legs hurt, Robbie replied. Robbie was sitting on the edge of the bed, and so Halloran lifted the legs of his pajamas. He discovered the boy's entire body was covered with scratches, welts, and marks. Robbie began to cry. I wish this would stop, he said. I can't stand this anymore. Halloran suggested the two of them pray together, and as they did, the pain went away, and the welts and the marks started to fade. Walter Halloran would remember this incident years later. He recalled, I saw the marks fade away right before my eyes. There was no easy way to explain this other than to believe that the power of prayer eased the boy's suffering. And it may have also been the power of prayer that caused Holy Thursday night to pass as peacefully as it did. At the same time that Father Bowdern was arriving in Robbie's room that evening, Catholics all over St. Louis were going into churches to receive communion and pray before the Blessed Sacrament. Father Bowdern's prayers and rosaries filled the small hospital room and Robbie accepted them in a state of calm and quiet. Good Friday, the day commemorated by Catholics as a day of mourning and loss, came and went, as did Holy Saturday. This marked three days of peace in the room on the fifth floor, and Father Bowdern felt that an end might actually be in sight. He believed the exorcism would be completed in triumph during Easter. At a few minutes after midnight on Sunday morning, Father Bowdern spoke with the Alexians and made arrangements for Robbie to be awakened early the next morning, given Holy Communion, and taken to Mass in the hospital's chapel. Early the next morning, Father Widman came to Robbie's room. Brother Greg, who was the nurse on duty, was waiting for him, and Father Widman asked him to wake up Robbie and help him to get ready. Brother Greg shook him gently, but the boy's eyes didn't open. He shook him again, a little harder this time, but Robbie still stayed asleep. The priest then went to the bed and grabbed Robbie by the shoulders. He shook him vigorously and then slapped his face two times. The boy finally woke up, but he was groggy and unhappy. It took him four tries to get Robbie to open his mouth and accept the host. Father Widman said a short prayer and then left to attend to his many Easter duties, leaving Robbie alone with the Alexian. Brother Greg had been reading when Father Widman arrived and had left his prayer book on a chair. He returned to the chair after the chaplain left the room. He opened his book and didn't notice that Robbie had climbed out of bed until the book was literally ripped from his hands. He reached for Robbie, but the boy slipped away. Then he turned and spit a thick gob of mucus into Brother Greg's face. 
Finally, the nurse got a hold of him, and when he did, Robbie spun around and he spoke in the deep baritone voice that Father Bishop believed belonged to the demon. And it said, I will not let him go to mass. Everyone thinks it will be good for him. It took several Alexians to get the boy back into bed. This turned out to be the beginning of a very bad day. Later in the morning, Father Bowdern received word that he was needed urgently at the hospital. He had just completed the first of his Easter masses and the call could not have come at a worse time. When he arrived, he found Robbie in the middle of one of his seizures, screaming, fighting, and cursing. The boy quieted down almost as soon as the Jesuit arrived and Father Bowdern was able to leave after an hour or so. His hopes for an Easter triumph in the case had been dashed. Later that afternoon, Robbie had recovered enough from the earlier incidents that some of the monks took him outside to play some baseball and to enjoy some sunshine and fresh air. He seemed relaxed and happier than any of them had seen him in quite some time. As the sun started to go down, one of the brothers who had let Robbie work odd jobs with him and had taken a particular liking to him, told Robbie it was time to go inside. They entered the hospital through a basement door and started down a hallway to the elevator. Suddenly, without any warning, Robbie stopped, turned, and punched the Alexian in the face with his fist. The monk stumbled backwards, but thanks to his long experience with handling mentally ill patients, he quickly recovered. He reached out with a practice move that would allow him to pin Robbie's elbows behind him, but the boy was simply too fast. He slammed his body into the monk and drove him into the wall. The Alexian had no choice but to call for help. Several other monks came running, but by the time they reached their fallen brother, he'd been beaten and battered. Unable to believe that a small boy could inflict such damage, one of the monks stepped in to grab Robbie's arm. He received a solid punch in the face for his efforts, driving him back to the floor. Three other monks pushed their way toward the boy and began wrestling with him. Robbie kicked, punched, scratched, and bit at the monks. He kept screaming that he would kill them over and over again. Finally, they managed to get him down, pin his arms and legs, and carry him to an elevator and back to his room. It took six of them to strap Robbie down in his bed. Father Bowdern was called back to the hospital again. He found Robbie screaming and howling and throwing his body against the restraints. He said nothing to anyone else in the room. He simply opened his prayer book and began reading the exorcism ritual. As the prayers went on, the deep, hoarse voice returned. It shouted at the Jesuits that it was going to have Robbie awaken and ask for a knife. Now, this could not have been good news to anyone, especially in light of the death threats that Robbie had just been making, but it happened just as predicted. Robbie came awake and immediately asked for a knife. He told them he wanted to cut an Easter egg, and then he slipped back into his trance again. The prayers continued. A few minutes later, the voice returned, and this time promised to have Robbie wake up and ask for water. Robbie's eyes fluttered open, and he asked for a drink of water. He drank what was offered to him, and he closed his eyes and fell back onto the bed. The Easter Sunday session continued for several more hours, and Father Batter began to realize that the Holy Day had been a turning point in the possession. The prayers had ended with curses and threats from Robbie, or whatever was inside of him. The strange voice spoke more often and began to speak with more authority. Robbie seemed to be completely under the control of it. Eyewitness accounts say that Robbie's features became so contorted that he, quote, seemed altogether a different person. And there was something else in the room, too. Everyone in the hospital room felt a deep chill, and Father Bowdern found it especially hard to get warm. He began wearing an overcoat over his clothing. The horrible stench that had manifested at the rectory was back. The smell was so bad they often had to leave the room in order to breathe.
The situation intensified on Monday, April 18th. Robbie woke up around 8 a.m. The first thing he did was kick the nurse at his bedside and jump out of bed. Another monk ran into the room to assist and Robbie seized a bottle of holy water from the desk. He threatened to throw the bottle at them and then he turned and threw it upward so that it shattered on the ceiling. The Alexians managed to get Robbie back into bed and they started cleaning up on the glass on the floor. They were still cleaning when Father Whitman arrived to see Robbie and to bring him communion. As he came over to the bed, the boy spit in the chaplain's face. Father Whitman slowly wiped it away and he urged Robbie to make a spiritual communion. Robbie replied by spitting at him again. The mucus and blood spattered the priest's face, but as he wiped it away, he was convinced that he heard the sound of Robbie's voice. It was very quiet and very faint, but he was sure that he heard two words, I can't. Father Whitman started to urge the boy again, but before he could do so, Robbie spoke on his own. He spoke in his own voice. I want to receive you in holy communion, he choked out and then fell back onto the bed. Father Woodman was relieved that the boy had made spiritual communion, but before he could say another word, he heard that same horrible voice again rumbling from Robbie's throat. Father Bishop recorded what the chaplain told him, and according to what he heard, the message stated that one devil was out, but that Robbie had to make nine communions before it would be over. Whatever Father Whitman heard, he stayed in the room for another hour, trying to get Robbie to make nine more spiritual communions, just to say the words, but Robbie couldn't speak. He even tried to get him to say, I want to receive you, which was sufficient for a valid communion, but Robbie couldn't do it. Instead, the voice of the devil, as Father Whitman believed it was, laughed at him. The voice growled, that isn't enough. He has to say one more word, one little word. He'll never say it. He has to make nine communions. He'll never say that word. I am always in him. I may not have much power always, but I am in him. He will never say that word. Father Whitman eventually gave up and left the room defeated and confused. What was the word? Communion? He already said that. So what could it be that could so easily free Robbie? And what was it that the demon would never allow him to say? The day turned into a nightmare. Robbie began to sing obscene and horrible songs. He began urinating and threatening the Alexians, cursing at them and calling them names. Then abruptly, he calmed down and smiled. He asked for something to eat and then asked for a bath so he could change out of his wet clothes. The brothers decided to wait a few minutes to see whether his mood changed again. Just after noon, they brought him a tray with a piece of cake, some ice cream, and a glass of milk. Robbie smiled and then snarled in rage. He grabbed the glass and hurled it across the room against the wall. The tray was tossed aside and clattered onto the floor. The Alexians managed to get him back into his restraints and then none of them would go near him until later in the afternoon. At that time, the brothers brought in another tray of food and placed it on the desk across the room. They wanted to get Robbie out of bed so they could bathe him, change the wet sheets, and get him into a fresh pair of pajamas. Robbie seemed cooperative enough. He got up and walked to the desk, smiled, and then picked up the plate that held the sandwich. He quickly hurried to the window and then turned to face the men in the room. Holding the plate in his hand as if he planned to launch it at any moment, he promised to hit anyone who dared move. One of the monks threw himself under the bed. Robbie laughed at him, but the brother had not been trying to escape. He slid forward toward Robbie's feet, and when he started to seize them, another monk jumped forward and grabbed his arm. Robbie turned and threw the plate, which smashed against the wall. Severally, the Alexians held on to him till his clothing and sheets could be changed. Father Bowdern, meanwhile, spent most of the day in meditation. 
The exorcism seemed to be at an impasse. If anything, Robbie seemed to be getting worse. Father Bowdern again plunged into the literature regarding possession, just as he did back when he first heard about Robbie's case. He learned of an 1870 case that took place in Wisconsin that seemed similar to Robbie's, and he devised a new strategy. That evening, the ritual would resume, and they would force Robbie to wear a chain of religious medals and to hold a crucifix in his hands. He was also determined to ask for the demon's responses in English, not Latin, which was the language of the possessed boy. If Robbie again claimed to be free of the devils, Father Bowdern would pay no attention to the claim. He would wait for a sign, an unmistakable sign that told him everything was over. He telephoned the other Jesuits and told them they would be returning to the hospital at 7 p.m. He was feeling confident when they arrived. But when the priests entered the hospital room, they found Robbie being pinned to the bed by several Alexians. Until a short time before, Robbie had been acting normal. He'd ask if he could use the telephone to call his mother. They escorted him to the phone, but before he could reach it, he turned wild again. He flailed and kicked and tried to claw at the eyes and throats of the monks. The men had managed to shove him to the floor and haul him back to his room, but Robbie had nearly escaped. They had no idea what he would have done if he'd been loose on the ward. Father Bowdern began to read from the prayer book, but instead of using his loud, commanding tone, he chose to read quietly instead. When the time came, he asked in Latin for a sign that would tell of the day and hour of the demon's departure. A moment later, he switched to English and said that the response should be given in that language. Nothing happened. Robbie's head rolled to the side and he let out a growling moan, but nothing else. Father Bowden resumed the prayers in Latin and at one point Robbie stirred and asked the meaning of some of the prayers. Father Bowden explained and Robbie nodded and repeated the Latin words. Cheered slightly by Robbie's calmness and attention, Father Bowden placed a crucifix in the boy's hands. But Robbie screamed and began to thrash about on the bed. Two monks held him down, but Robbie managed to hurl the crucifix across the room. The spell lasted for several minutes and then he seemed to come out of it again. He asked once more about the Latin prayers and after a few tries was able to recite the Hail Mary by himself. Robbie was interested for a few minutes and then he asked for his catechism book. He thumbed through it, stopping occasionally to read part of a story. A moment later, he snapped it closed and balanced the book on his knees and then on his head. And then the book went flying across the room. Robbie's body slammed backwards onto the bed. His eyes were closed again and his body strained and contorted on the thin mattress. This went on for some time and then suddenly Robbie changed again. He said that he wanted to recite the rosary while the priests responded. Father Bowdern handed him the rosary and he clutched at it and began to pray. He told the Jesuits that he felt the need to pray whenever he was able, asking if he could make spiritual communion on his own. He tried to do it and then Robbie was gone again. His eyes squeezed shut and he thrashed about and cried that the religious medals that had been placed around his neck were hot. They were burning him, he whined. Could he please take them off? Father Bowdern refused. Instead, he slipped the crucifix back into Robbie's hand again. This time, though, he didn't throw it down. Father Widman stepped to the bed, holding his most precious belonging, which was a crucifix that had been given on the day he was ordained as a priest. He blessed Robbie and asked him to kiss the image of Jesus that was on the crucifix. Robbie barked at him and exploded in a rage. He twisted his head away and tossed it back and forth as he howled and cursed the chaplain. Then he turned toward Father Bowdern and began spitting at him with his eyes closed. As usual, his aim was perfect. One of the Alexians had to hold a pillow between Robbie and Father Bowdern as a shield. Then, according to the diary, quote, 
The boy's tongue began to flick out and his head began to move back and forth in a gliding fashion like a snake. Suddenly he would make a quick movement above, beneath, or alongside the pillow and spit mucus into the exorcist's eyes. Father Bowden recited the prayers incessantly for more than two hours as Robbie screamed and arched his body up off the bed. It took five of the Alexians to hold him down as he howled in what seemed to be terrible pain. At last, Father Bowden read through the entire ritual one last time and then uttered the final amen. Absolute silence filled the room. Robbie lay still on the bed and the exorcist hardly dared to breathe. Robbie took a deep breath and then a new voice came from his lips. It was loud, clear, and a masculine voice, one different from the chilling voice the Jesuits had gotten so used to hearing. The voice claimed to be none other than St. Michael the Archangel, and it ordered the demon to depart. The voice shouted, I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominus immediately, now, now, now. Father Bowdern suddenly realized what the word was that Robbie would, quote, never say. It was Dominus. That was the word. Father Bishop's diary then went on to record the most violent contortions of the entire period of the exorcism. He called it a, quote, fight to the finish as Robbie's body went into a torrent of painful twists and spasms. Then he fell quiet. A moment later, he sat up, smiled, and then spoke in a normal voice. He's gone. Robbie said, looking around at the priests and monks with the first real smile that any of them had seen from the boy in a long time. The exorcism was finally over. The Alexians embraced one another. Father Bishop celebrated, gripping Father Bowdern's shoulder. He was smiling, and he waited for Father Bowdern's smile in his prayer of thanks. But the exorcist was not smiling or crying. Instead, he looked grim and tense. He was waiting for his sign. He had sworn not to give up until he received the sign that he'd asked for. As Father Bowdern brooded, Robbie seemed to come alive. He spoke with wonder of a dream that he experienced. He told everyone he'd seen a wondrous figure with long flowing hair that appeared from a bright white light. The figure wore a white robe that was covered in shining chain mail as a knight would have worn in the Middle Ages. The figure, who Robbie believed was an angel, held a heavy sword that seemed to give off a bright glow. The man looked fierce, and with the sword in one hand, he pointed with the other to a dark cave that was located a short distance away. From inside of the cavern, Robbie could see flames and fire, and he could feel heat coming from it. Just outside of the cave's entrance was a demonic figure with misshapen features and a grotesque form. There were other creatures that lurked nearby. The demon laughed at the angel as the shiny figure ordered it into the cave. As it howled, the demon charged at the angel, but rather than raise his sword in defense, the angel merely turned and looked at Robbie with a smile on his face. He then turned back to the demon and spoke one word, Dominus. The smiling creature screamed in agony. Robbie told of his dream, and then he told of the other demons vanishing into the depths of the burning cave. The creatures descended into the darkness, and then a metal gate slammed shut behind them with a loud clang. Robbie saw that the letters had been welded into the gate. They spelled out the word, spite. Robbie said that as the demons vanished, he felt a sharp tugging in his stomach, and then something seemed to snap. When he awoke, he said that he felt that a huge pressure had been lifted off of him. 
The dark thoughts and depression that had overwhelmed him since January were suddenly gone. He couldn't remember the last time he felt so happy. Robbie fell asleep a short time later. When he woke the next morning, he repeated his dream to the Alexian who had stayed by his bed the night before. The monk helped him to dress and get cleaned up, and Robbie prepared to attend Mass and to receive Holy Communion in the hospital chapel. Father Van Roos said Mass at the hospital that morning. When the time came for communion, Robbie joined the other patients and Alexians as they walked to the altar rail. He knelt there, raised his head, and opened his mouth to receive the host. Father Van Roo felt a surge of joy as he placed the wafer on Robbie's tongue, and the smiling boy received it in utter, almost serene peace. Robbie returned to his room after Mass, and although he'd awakened late, took a nap in the afternoon. When he awoke, he seemed unable to remember anything about the ordeal that he'd experienced over the past few months. In fact, when he first awoke, he had absolutely no idea where he was. He didn't recognize anyone at first, including Father Widman or the monks who had befriended him. Some of those memories, at least the faces and the names, would come back to him, but for the most part, he remembered nothing of the possession or the horrible events that had occurred. It's a blank spot in his mind that continues to this day. Moments after Robbie awoke from his nap, a booming sound was heard throughout the hospital. The large thundering noise like a small cannon being fired was so intense it could be heard in every part of the building. It was thought that perhaps something had exploded, but nothing could be found that was damaged. One of the staff members later described it as a sound like that of an electrical transformer that had blown up. A search of the building revealed nothing had occurred. What was the sound? No one knew, but they were sure it had come from the fifth floor. Brother Cornelius, as well as a number of monks and staff members, hurried to Robbie's room, fearing the worst. When they arrived, though, they only found Robbie, standing by his bed in the sunshine, a placid smile on his face. He had no idea what all the fuss was about. There was no explanation for the sound, or was there? because it seemed that Father Bowdern finally had his sign. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language Better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words come from? Welcome to American Hauntings Podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and all things paranormal. You are listening to episode 34, which is the 20th episode of season 20. 2. At 20. 20. Unreal. 20. Unreal. <laughs> Unreal. Uh, diving into the history and hauntings of St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me, my co-host is author, historian, crime buff, and founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. 20, 20 episodes of season 2. Well, how many? We have a season 1. Thirteen. Oh, so okay. Or so a little math here. We must have had fourteen since with episode thirty-four. Oh so, yeah. Oh yeah. no. Yeah, counting. Yeah, that's yeah. hard. Yeah, <laughs> math is hard. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Yeah. Again. Well, well before we get started, we have a couple housekeeping sure. items. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go through and tell people what's yeah. going on? Yeah. Why don't we? Um, now, listen. When you guys, you're going to hear this. Uh, we are recording this in early December. Um, it, I don't think it hurts anything. They know a little bit of how the sausage is made on this podcast. Oh, well, I, I don't that, like people to know my whereabouts. Somebody have actually seen it live. Yeah. But um, we're we're recording a little bit early uh, because it's the holiday season, and so we kind of have to shuffle our schedules around a little bit. So we're recording this a, a week or so before you're actually going to hear it. Is it a week? Uh, wow, like a week and a half. Yeah, that's that's yeah. early. So anyway, um, my point is is that uh, we have we're going to be taking a little time off uh, over the holidays, not much, but just a little bit. Um, February 9th, The reason I'm the reason my point getting to my point. February 9th is our annual Dead of Winter event at the Mineral Springs in Alton. Um, that's our big free event that we do every year. Um, admission on that, I mean, it is free, but we do ask you to bring a canned good or a non-perishable item that can be used at any of the food banks, and it could be anything. Cans, you could bring a, a box, a mix of some kind, toilet paper, light bulbs, batteries, anything that people can use, um, because by February, you know, the, the holiday donations have dropped off by then and they're usually in need of things for the food bank so we we collect quite a bit of stuff for those and um that's what we do that event every year uh we've got speakers all day 
I think we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but uh, it runs from 10 to 4. Cody and I will be doing a, uh, a live podcast like we did last year, mm. which was a lot of fun. Uh, we've got um, Jason Haxton, who was the original owner. This is what I think we talked about, was the original owner of the Dybbuk box uh, yes. um, that, you know, you might have seen it portrayed rather badly uh, on Halloween night if you were such a loser that you were sitting at home watching Ghost Adventures. But don't hey, judge. well, you know, I guess, no, don't judge, don't judge. But anyway, uh, if you might have seen it presented on there, um, if you want the actual, what it really is, and in an actual accurate portrayal of it, uh, Jason's going to be, you know, presenting that on the day of the, uh, the Dead of Winter event. Uh, we've got a couple other speakers uh, from St. Louis and from Iowa, and it's going to be fun. We've got some, a couple after-hour events, which are filling up fast. That dinner uh, that we're doing that night is uh, almost full. Uh, and then we've got a ghost hunt at the Mineral Springs and a ghost hunt at the Unitarian Church that night as well. So if you're thinking about coming, and really, let's be honest, why wouldn't you? Um, and you, Yeah. And you'd like to do one of the after-hour things, you really got to get on that. So um, that's my suggestion. So um, we also had, some of you may remember, we had a couple of other events that were coming up this winter, the uh, the evening with the Axeman, the evening with Lizzie Borden, but those are both sold out now. So um, it's kind of a, one of those snooze you lose kind of things. But yep. we did add one more on February 23rd. We just added it um, just a couple of days ago. And, it's, and it sounds really awful when you say the name of the event, um, an evening of sex in the supernatural. That sounds, We're not sounds having great. sex, um, but it is about sex and the supernatural. And this is an adults only program, so it's 21 and older. Smart. Uh, so, you know, we, we've had a little bit of difficulty with it. Um, I don't know if you noticed or heard me tell you this or not. Uh, but uh, Facebook issues? Facebook banned the ad. Um, I can't understand because, why. I know, right? Um, so... I had an ad up for it and Facebook banned it, so I had to redo the ad and put <laughs> put up the ad. And I said, we're having an event on February 23rd, but we can't tell you what it's about, <laughs> Yeah, which is interesting. Uh, but that in it now, of course, it's starting to fill up, So, um, which that's the good news. But and hopefully by the time you hear this, we will have a few seats left because it is a week and a half away and it's filling pretty fast. But um, hopefully... You know, but I thought we'd get the word out there. That's anyway. awesome. That so. book is sitting on my coffee table. It makes everyone uncomfortable, yeah. and I love it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, and and now it's time we've got to because it's a month away. Uh, we've got to announce that the Haunted America conference tickets are going on sale January seventh. I mean, that's coming fast. Um, yep. All of this stuff. Well, like the reason we we happen to be recording this in Alton tonight because we have a ghost hunt at the Mineral Springs tonight. Which, when we planned this, really seemed far off. Yeah. And then now it's here. It's here. And so the conference has seemed, you know, we put up the conference stuff back in the end of August and beginning of, you know, September. And it really seemed far away from when the tickets went on sale. But now it's a month away. And um, we've got to, I, I, we always try to say we're going to have the biggest and best. And we're always going to try to do out outdo last year's. And I think we really have, again, this year. Uh, we really have a lot of cool stuff planned, a lot of great speakers. And um, if you're interested, get on the website. It's just ghostconference.net. And that'll tell you about everything that's coming up. And then you should really start planning on, 
your tickets. Yeah, because it's gonna be great. It's gonna be a great. It's gonna be a great one. And uh, we, you know, we sold out last year, and we'll sell out again this year. Yeah, and I'll be doing some fun interactive stuff. Yeah. I, we might even do some stuff leading up to it that's kind of conference related yeah. Um, yeah, with podcast stuff. And uh, yes, yeah, so be on the lookout. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and then yeah, tonight ghost hunt at Mineral Springs. Really excited. Yeah, we've got um, another one of those in April too. We plan one for April twenty seventh, I believe. Nice. So, so for the yeah. third time. Buy your tickets in I advance, know. so we I don't have to. Tell I don't everybody. have to pull yeah, favors. Cody's and stuff. trying to beg me to let people come because they waited too long and didn't get tickets. I and... groveled. Yeah, it was embarrassing. <laughs> uh, but I'm excited tonight. I'm going to. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to face my fears. If anything crazy happens, I'm gonna try to not run away. Not run this time. Uh, well, I power walked, but <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna try really hard um, to just be very open and just kind of see what happens. Um, two quick things for me. Uh, I just wanted to send out a reminder to review the show, rate and review the show on yeah, iTunes. Please. I love reading the new reviews, yeah, um, yeah, and we I haven't really we haven't begged for those in a while, so I'm going to yeah. grovel again. Yeah, um, and we really appreciate those. And also, if you have any questions uh, about the uh, the exorcism series that we're doing or the aftermath, uh, there's still time to get those in before we record the final episode of the Exorcist. Yes. So if you yeah. have any if you have any questions, um, send me an email at AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. And if I like you and or your question, I will get it in the show. <laughs> and we have one episode left. So, I mean, that's that's it. So, and we need you to send us that stuff very soon because we will be recording that soon. And uh, that is the last episode of the season of St. Louis, last episode of The uh, of the Exorcist, too. Yeah, I Only think... Only one more left after this. I think we will probably announce what season three is going to be, maybe, during that episode? During that wait? episode, I think we probably will. Okay. So, we know, but we're not telling you yeah, yet. Yeah, not yet, but I can assure you it's going to be awesome. Uh, okay, so you ready to dive in? Sure, yeah, I'm ready. All right, so on our last episode, Father Bowden uh, didn't know what to do with Robbie, so he returns him to the Alexian Brothers Hospital. Yes. And that goes fine? <laughs> is that is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, it's just great. So Everything is just dandy. They so. re He returned there on Palm Sunday, which I thought yes. was, um, I don't know, poetic or I, I don't know, something. It was it was interesting that that was the day. Um, and let's see, Brother Cornelius uh, asked for constant prayers by the monks. And there was one monk, Brother Greg Holowinski. There you go. Uh, he told you some details of that. Yeah, correct. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, I met him in 2014, um, and he had at that time was had not long to live. He had cancer, mm -hmm. and it was pretty bad. And he knew he was dying, and had wanted to tell his story of what he'd witnessed. Um, because by this time, you know, enough time had passed, you know, everybody was pretty much gone. And he he really felt that it was, he felt like Father Bowdern had felt, who always wanted to tell his story, but was obedient and did not do so. And Brother Greg, it, it wasn't that he was really breaking any rules because he was an Alexian. It wasn't like he had been told by, you know, the Archdiocese not to talk. Um, so he wanted to tell his story uh, he told his family about it, but those are the only people that knew of the things that he had witnessed uh, during his time at the at the hospital. But he was absolutely convinced. Um, I asked him four different ways, you know, if he really, I mean, you know, I just kept rephrasing the question and, you know, asking him if he really believed that that Robbie was possessed. And he said, absolutely. Yes, I do. 
Okay, so I just found out two cool pieces of information. One, you met Linda Blair at Comic-Con, which I didn't know, so we can come (laughs) back to that. But also, uh, you interviewed this monk on a show that you could find on Amazon Prime, and I'm going to do it. No, it's not Prime. It's not? No, it's it's on Amazon. Prime Video, is that what it is now? It's in their video, yeah. Okay, and that's The Unexplained Files, season two, I was told. Yeah. So, Um, yeah, what was that like? It was fun. I mean, I, I worked with a crew from England, actually, and we we traveled a lot. Uh, we went to Maryland. We went to uh, Robbie's family's house. Um, I've been to the cemetery, saw where his parents are buried, saw where Aunt Tilly is buried. Oh, yeah. Because uh, we went back and forth between Maryland and, and um, St. Louis and then went up to Milwaukee to interview Brother Greg. And, uh, it was fun. I mean, it was fun. It was a good, it was a good, it was a several week shoot and, uh, had a good time with them and it was, it was fun. And it, like I said, got me to Comic-Con. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. So, and so, yeah, so you met Linda Blair and for those of you who don't know, Linda Blair portrays Robbie essentially in the the exorcist. She plays Reagan in the exorcist. And, um, I had had done, I did a lot of interviews while I was out there, Mm -hmm. like TV and radio stuff for the show. And then I did a panel. And uh, with several other people from different seasons uh, or different episodes from that season okay. of the Unexplained Files, and uh, then for whatever reason, Linda Blair was there for that. Ep- she wanted to sit in on the panel, yeah, and that was kind of fun. So she was really nice. And um, there was a, at one point, I mean, because th- the place was packed, there must have been, I don't know, man, there must have been a thousand people in there. I, I mean, yeah, it was really that's packed. awesome, and. Um, People were allowed to get up and ask questions. Mm-hmm. And most of the questions were about the exorcist, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so I was talked about something, and then this guy called me a liar oh, and said that really? I'd made the whole thing up. The whole and, story? Yeah, I'd made the whole story up. And uh, Linda Blair just, like, came out of her seat, man. It was just funny. You know, it was really funny. That's awesome. D- in my defense. Yeah. You know, it was it was, it was was fun. That was kind of a highlight, I gotta say. So did she throw up on him or no, no, anything no, no? She was just like, you know, no, no, this really happened. This really happened. He's done all the research. It was funny. Yeah, yeah. You funny. made up the whole and thing. And I just met book. her, you know. But she was like, you know, defending me in, in this crowd at <laughs> Comic Con. You know, that's awesome. It was funny. Well, so. I'm definitely gonna check that out. Yeah, and, it, um, it's a, really that's that's one of my favorite, uh, one of the favorite documentary things i've ever filmed mm-hmm. um and I've, I've worked with some good crews and stuff and had a good time with stuff but that's probably one of my favorites that yeah. was really um it was a good shoot and it they put it together into a, a pretty good show and uh, i liked it i liked it a lot that's awesome so. before we uh, met initially to talk about doing the podcast i like creeped on you a lot and i watched like a ton of old interviews and shows and stuff but uh, anything i watched was free so i don't think i've, I've yeah you probably didn't get this. into that um, yeah, but you well, know i'm gonna pony you up just sat down and watched the travel channel during halloween during october because everything i've ever done was on because people can hey i saw you talking about the axe mm-hmm. murder house hey i saw you talking about the lincoln theater hey i saw you. and i'm like yeah and they said well, you sure look different i'm like well you know it's like a a big period of years there, so there's a lot of different, a lot of, a lot of different looks, you know. I did make it. No beard, less tattoos, fat, not fat, you I, know. I did just, make uh, the joke that you killed the real <laughs> Troy Taylor and took his identity, and you didn't laugh, and so I was like, I'm not going to bring this up again, but uh, is it weird seeing yourself on TV? Um, it depends on what it is. Okay. If it's something old, yeah, it's yeah. really weird, so... Yeah, it's it's not always good. Trust yeah. me. So 
Yeah. No, I mean, I, I guess it's I, okay. I can. I, mean, I only relate as long as you're not acting like. If I'm not acting like an idiot, it's okay. But yeah, you know, well, that's the thing. I can only relate to like the fact that we have these podcasts recorded because then I can go back and like listen to myself, and sometimes it's terrible. I know, me too. And, and so sometimes, seeing it sometimes too. we'll be playing, and I'll listen. I'll listen back to an episode and. A lot of times I'll just skip ahead to this part. Yeah. yeah I oh, I'm even, sure. I don't want to listen to myself read that the story again. Yeah. So, because I'll go, oh god, oh man, why didn't Cody cut that out? I sounded <laughs> awful right there. You know. I but, I or try. No way to fix it. Kind of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I've done and I've done it before. Like if you mess up a name a little bit, I've tried to cut and paste like different, different really? name, but it, it'll it doesn't the inflections yeah. and stuff oh, are off man. and. Oh, eh. wow. Anyway, okay, so moving on. So Father Bowden is still doing, he's still doing other like priest stuff. Right. right? Well, he's busy. It's Easter week. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it is, it is the busiest week of a church in a church's year. Right. Is Easter week. Right. And his uh, he has a brother who's a doctor, Edward H. Bowden, and he says, you look terrible. <laughs> yeah. And not yeah. only is it only your brother again, it, I think. Not so. only does he look terrible, but he has boils on his arms. Yeah, see that was the first time I had heard about that. Um and I think Okay, the, my chair stuck. Sorry. That sounded really bad. <laughs> um it's like a duck trapped under the table. <laughs> um anyway, yeah, he um he he lost all that weight, and he was exhausted and I guess he had like I mean, I don't know boils i mean that seems really bad i mean i i see people sometimes that you know they'll have like a maybe like a skin condition on their arms or yeah something. I, sometimes i'll have seen that or something where it's like open and it looks painful you know yeah boil sounds really bad it sounds terrible you know, so and so uh he decides that this time on palm sunday they're just he's just gonna mob in and just start the exorcism prayers like immediately and they don't have any problems that day yeah it's a good day um and i thought it was interesting that i was like wondering what is like what is robbie doing during the day but it said he does chores and odd jobs and studies his catechism um but i mean still that's gotta be terrible there's there's an hour yeah (laughs) and then what you know i mean i guess he wanders around the hospital with the monks doing stuff i guess and the the monks are also they're interesting because it says the the brothers did not read the newspaper did not speak at meals in the communal dining hall each man worked for eight hours each day and spent about another eight hours in prayer and meditation they refrained from idle conversation and began each day at sunrise praying for an hour before doing anything else that is on the other hand though yeah and i'm sure that's probably their general routine but these guys were hanging around with a, you know, twelve-year-old kid all day. I'm sure that there was plenty of idle conversation that went on. I mean, there has to be. Yeah, there has to. The be. kid keeps so, asking why. Yeah, why? I'm sure there's plenty of things to talk about. And you know, later they're talking about grabbing, you know, bats and balls and going out. I mean, so I mean, these are these are still these are young guys. Monks are not. Right. These are young guys who I'm sure are you know somewhat athletic and and do other things. But I think that was their their. Their regimen, their normal regimen was this is what we do. And mm-hmm. we, you know, just because they don't read newspapers and that kind of thing, I think that's to kind of cut themselves off from the negativity of the world kind of thing. And not a so bad that idea. they can be, no, it's really not. In this day and age, there are days when I just decide I'm not going to look at Twitter at all. I've, I've deleted Twitter my so head many will times. Explode, yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I think that that's probably the standard plan, but. I can't imagine that's what these guys that were interacting with Robbie were doing on an everyday basis. I keep so. picturing like a vow of silence baseball game where it's just a <laughs> quiet baseball game. It's yeah. called completely yeah. silent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So eventually they, they call in a non-Catholic pediatrician um, to figure out if they now, can. Wait yep. a minute. Okay. That, that's a story. Oh, okay. okay. So that's, okay. 
that's that's legend has it and uh -huh. I, I refer to that i i, I kind of mentioned that you know it said that right um that is not from any official record it's not canonist no that is that but the story was that brother cornelius because you know thinking outside the box i mean because they are medical professionals yeah. i mean they may be monks but they're also you know medical people and the story was is that he called in a pediatrician to take a look at Robbie just to see, you know, what this guy would say. Got you know, it. And he's like, oh, you know, I can't find an explanation for it. Okay. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I mean, it's a great addition to the story. Yeah. You know, well, so. so. Okay, so I missed that part. But the reason I wrote it down, because I was like, at what point do you have to, like, call the cops? <laughs> you know? Well. Like, if you see that Yeah, shit. I mean, you know. Or DCFS uh, or something. So a non, yeah, non-Catholic pediatrician comes in to take a look at this kid and He's covered in bruises and scratches and marks, you know, probably handprints from, you know, people Being holding held down, him down yeah. to the bed, you know, marks on his wrists from leather straps, probably his ankles sometimes too, but we know his wrists. Um, what, yeah, you know, what, <laughs> you, I, I'm just different, saying. different time though, I guess you know, so. different time. I mean, you know, we're talking about 1941, nine, it was okay to knock the shit out of your wife if she mouthed off to you and everybody just said, oh, it's none of my business. Right. You know, so if you beat your kids and, hey, that was a prime period for, you know, um, you know, sparing the rod and spoiling the child. Right. So people could, you know, knock the heck out of their kids. And everybody just said, well, it's none of our business. You know, I mean, it's a different time, man. Right. And so what's this guy going to say? He's at a Catholic, um, Catholic institution and he's there and he's in the fifth floor security ward so you have to already assume if you don't know the details of the case you have to assume that he's probably got some kind of mental disturbances mm -hmm. so you know i'm sure he really didn't think anything about it at all that's fair i mean well, you know move that to now yeah i mean if you move this entire story which we'd already talked about this in previous episode if we had iPhones. if we had <laughs> iphones if you move this entire story to 2018 you know anybody who caught a whiff of anything going on in this They'd have called DCFS a long time ago. They right. would have done that in the very beginning, and there there never would have been any of this stuff. We don't know what would have happened in a different right. time period. Right. You know? Well, we'll get to my thoughts on punching children later in this episode. <laughs> um, but so but on, you're for it, I think. Uh, you so. know, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, I don't want to incriminate Hey, there myself. are a few times where I, I don't think I would have been able to restrain myself with some of the stuff this oh, kid I would pulls. Have, I would have dropped you him know? like third period yeah. French. Okay. Yeah. So Monday evening, Father Bowden, Father Van Rue, Father Bishop, and... Walter Hollerin, they start an exorcism. Um, starts out okay, but then, again, Robbie freaks out. And can we talk about the, uh, you know, this might be another story, but the word exit in the arrows? No, that was, that was, if Father Bishop is there, mm -hmm. if he's present, um, then it's, then it's something he something. reported. Yeah. Got it. Um, yeah, and, and you know, again, you know, when you when you delve into this stuff in such great detail, the, the way we've been doing this, and some of the things that pop up that Father Bowdern, you know, this is to give you an idea of how tired this poor guy must have been. Yeah. Anything that popped up, he's like, oh, this must be the end. It must <laughs> right. be almost over. Right. You know? I mean, I think by this time, this has gone on for months now. I mean, we're talking about his involvement was at more than three months he'd been involved in this. And I think he must have been so exhausted by this point that any inkling that it might be over, he was excited about. You know, and he must have read something somewhere that said that, you know, a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times, and I don't think I added this in because I just didn't want to put it in the story. 
Um, a lot of times demons would leave your body by urination or... Oh, you put um, it in and we're going to talk about it. Well, the urination part is, but there's also a lot of times that people would poop out the demons. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, come on, man. Right. <laughs> come on. That's a bit you know, that's a, That just seemed extreme to me. Um, oh, I've got a demon in my stomach yeah. and it, I have it felt, won't leave. I have felt like oh, that it before. really hurts. You know, oh, it's gone. You know, I, I just... I don't know. It's kind of hard to take that too seriously. That is know? hilarious. So I, I wrote down a quote. Father Bowden hated to see the boy in pain, but urination gave him great hope. In many historical cases, demons have exited their victims through urination. He hoped that's what's happening in Robbie's case. I, my only note was legit, what? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I didn't know that was a thing. I've never, well, and you know, and I'm not, I'm certainly not going to call myself an expert on <laughs> demonology because then I would be on television if I was. Um, I'm not going to call myself an expert on that, but I've never heard of that before. I mean, I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but I've just never really run across it's it. It's probably because so. when you're yelling at somebody and holding them down and freaking out for a long time, they just piss themselves yeah, probably. Eventually. Yeah. Uh, and then apparently the word hell appears on Robbie's skin after he receives communion. And this reminds me of like a scene out of a movie or like I feel like I've seen kids in high school like carve well, weird but, things. Well, themselves. I know, but the, the, the problem with that, and, and I can I see what you're saying, but the problem with the, the word carving stuff was that this stuff would happen in front of everybody there. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, now, does that necessarily mean that he's demonically possessed? No. And again, I'll reiterate that, you know, I, I've literally seen people break out into all kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know, under severe stress, you know, mental disorders. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, I've seen it, I've seen it happen. So, you know, this is a case of where it doesn't necessarily mean, I don't know, you know, I'm not, no, I get I'm it. not going to say that I, I, I'm sure it was a demon writing on his body, but here were, here were guys, reputable people standing there watching it happen. You know, and Walter Halloran, and I used some of his quotes in this, you know, many years later, recalled saying, you know, like he was sitting with Robbie talking to him and he said, you know, my legs are really hurting. And mm-hmm. he looks and they're covered with like bleeding marks and he'd been sitting in front of him the whole time. So it couldn't have just, I mean, he couldn't have done it. I mean, right. you know, Father Halloran would have seen him scratching at his legs to make this happen. Yeah. And it didn't happen that way. Oh, that's fair. One thing that's not, though, Robbie slips his restraints, punches a priest in the nuts, oh, and he says, how'd you like that for a nutcracker? And he let out a cackling laugh. He's doing fucking bits now. I know, right? I know. And this is, again, this is when I will say, I would have dropped this kid I know. so I know. fast. I don't know. I understand. I think that I think a, a good punch back might have done wonders. Yeah, you know? 100%. Um, but yeah, because I'm going to say that really hurt. That's so. not... Oh, okay, we got to move on. I don't even think about it. It hurts my <laughs> stomach just thinking about it. Uh, so they decide to bestow spiritual communion on the boy instead because they can't get him to actually right. eat it. Right. Um, and he yells a bunch and then he passes out for the night. But the next night, Robbie freaks out again, of course, and, of course. and says, quote, I am the devil. I will make him awaken and he will be pleasant. You will like him. He wakes up, but then he says, I-, I am the devil. I'll wake him up, and he will be awful. Yeah. So he's he's kind of, I know. is he predicting the future? Or is he creating I, the future? I, I don't know. That's some weird stuff. I you know, I I don't know. I don't really know what to think about that. Yeah. Because that happened a few times with that kind of thing. And, yeah. And, you know, now I'm going to make him wake up and ask for a glass of water. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, is that a demon doing that? Because, I mean, I would expect something better 
Yeah. I mean, I'm really disappointed in your level of work. I mean, if you're it, a well, demon. It, it can't be the devil, too. It, he's way too busy well, yeah, to, to exactly. do this but kind of thing. If it's a demon, you know, that's... You got to up your game up. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And if it's the kid faking it, which, I mean, what purpose does this serve? I don't I yeah. don't know. That's I guess that's what was losing me. I'm not understanding the point here. But I do like it when he waked up and asked for a knife. <laughs> Yes, we, we will. That's we will talk. Part. We will talk about that. That's hilarious. Yeah, give him a knife. That's um, like a great idea. We'll get to that. You know, like the ice cream and all. Yeah, episode. yeah, yeah. Let's get him a bowl of ice cream. What the hell? Yeah, kids up all night. In the middle of an exorcism. Sure, have some ice cream. Okay, so eventually, Father Widman, who's essentially like internal affairs, yeah, uh, comes in. Best way to describe it. And so now he's part of the exorcism. And so why was he brought in? Just to make sure everything was on the well, up and up. I think or? that. Um, Father Bowdern couldn't be hanging out at the hospital all day long and mm. all night too. And since he wanted Robbie to continue with the catechism, you know, here's a priest hanging out there. So why not? You know, he's, he works there and they must've, they must've been on friendly terms or mm-hmm. he wouldn't have come to him and said, Oh, and, you know, by the way, you know, we're good. <laughs> you know, the kid we're doing the exorcism on, yeah. would you mind, you know, giving him his instruction while you're not busy during the day? So I think that's, he just got involved. Got it. Okay. Uh, eventually, Halloran feels guilty, so he checks Robbie out of the hospital, and they go on a field trip. Yeah, that was a great idea. So yeah. this is uh, hilarious for a couple different reasons, but it also <laughs> kind of marks a, a turning point. So Robbie, Halloran, and Hasbro, they drive to what's called the White House, mm-hmm. and um, Halloran says, you know, wish they had a baseball and a bat and stuff. They don't, but he realizes they could do the Stations of the Cross along the river. So for anybody that's um, not up and up on Catholicism, I used to have to do the Stations across every Friday during Lent. It's yeah. really long. It's really boring. It's a really right. brutal story. Yeah, it's 14 stops. Yes. You know, technically it's, you're it's on a Jesus tour. Jesus carrying the cross. Yeah, to, a tour to... of awful things yes. is pretty much what And we it had is. to read out of this yeah. book, and we yeah. all sounded like drones. And yeah. anyway, so they decide to do that. But this time, Robbie freaks out during the day, the daytime, which is right. kind of odd kind of for odd. him. Yeah. Um, and so again, he, they decided well, to leave. Well, it's kind of like, what, what could be the worst thing that could happen? He could throw oh, himself right off the here, cliff. throw himself <laughs> yeah. off the cliff. Great. Exactly. So. so he starts freaking out in the car. Again, why is this kid not in the trunk <laughs> at this point? I've said it yeah. before. I'll say yeah. it again. Yeah, you got uh, a point there. It's, I'm just saying. Um, Maybe they could just take their belts off, tie them up. Yeah, put them on the, the roof or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, you know, like a Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah, today also marks my uh, official war on Christmas. Starts well, on December first. Yeah. Um, anyway, so goes through the usual exorcism stuff, and they get back, and he says that God will make the demon leave at eleven. Uh, Robbie's voice responded with the usual "stick it up your ass," and then began to sing <laughs> a little song, sing in a falsetto voice about sticking it up the ass. Yeah. Which is this kid just comes up. Uh, I mean, I know, I know. Some some great great song. I would love to hear an album um, <laughs> from an him. Album. So all of this doesn't really work. Again, big... with the iPhones. <laughs> yes, only had an exactly, iPhone. Exactly, yeah. Uh, didn't really work. It was a big struggle if he falls asleep eventually. Like, a lot of this stuff, I have. I, I was taking notes on stuff, yeah, and I'd be like, yeah. more of the same, more of the same. It is, it same. is. And, and so that's that's why all the detail isn't there. That, yeah. You know, because it is. Even Father, even Father Bishop, I mentioned that last <laughs> yep. episode, even he got bored with it yeah. know, after a while. Same old thing, you know. But then he did this, so it was something new, you know. Yeah. So on Holy Thursday, uh, Whitman meets with Robbie to chat, and Robbie says, as you mentioned before, my legs hurt, and I wish this could stop. I, I can't stand this anymore. Uh, and Halloran says that he watched the marks disappear from Robbie's body right before his eyes. 
Good Friday and Holy Saturday roll around, and they're uneventful, which yeah. I think is interesting. Yeah. Because in Palm Sunday too, that those really really holy days, maybe there's just nobody around, so yeah, he's I don't freaking know. out by himself. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know, know, but it seems interesting that of the holiest of days are the yeah. ones that are the least uh, eventful. But then on Easter Sunday, he's a little shit again, and he says all day. Oh yes, yeah, so it's a daytime. So I will not yeah. let him go to mass. Everyone thinks it'll be good for him. Then he goes and plays baseball, like yeah. we mentioned. Yeah. Uh, as they're walking, again, give this kid a bat. That's great uh, idea. That's so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but as they're walking back inside, this is when Robbie takes out one of the Alexian brother <laughs> monks, and it sounds pretty brutal. Yeah, it does. And again, this is when this is my stance. I would drop this kid. Well, again, you've got well, and maybe they tried because you've got five guys. It takes six people to get him back to strap into him bed. Down, yeah. This kid weighs like 110 pounds, soaking wet. I mean, right. he's like 12, this skinny 12-year-old, and they can't even believe that the, the you know, the power, the strength this kid mm-hmm. has and the brutality and the ferocity of this kid fighting them. And it takes six of them to get him back to his room and strap down. Right. I mean, maybe they did try to take him out, you know? That's I mean, true. There's, there's a good chance. I mean, considering he was just beating these guys and punching them in the face and stuff— there's a good chance they were fighting back. Again, I feel like they again, had to be. These are young guys. Yeah. I mean, these were all young guys. That's one of the things that makes that's probably me... what leaves out of the, gets left out of the stories. <laughs> right. Well, and they did. Right. It took six of them, but they also kicked the shit out of them. Right. So, so oh, you, you know. fell and broke your nose. You don't remember? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the things though that actually makes me um, have some belief in this story is that yeah. these guys couldn't handle it. Right. You know. Right. Because exactly. like you, all, everything else aside, like. Six grown yeah, men and, and, should be able to handle twelve year old. I, I mentioned it in passing in the story, but just to reiterate, you know, Brother Greg said he was there trying to hold him onto the bed, mm-hmm. and he swears he levitated a foot and a half off the bed. I mean, he swore to me it happened. And and again, why why would he lie? Yeah, this is a guy who spent, you know, at the time he was in his late eighties when I met him, and he spent his entire, literally his entire life in service to the church and to other people. I mean, that was his whole life. Why would he make this story up? Yeah. I mean, for what reason would he wait, yeah. you know, all those years to, to make up a story, you know, about something that he witnessed? I I, I mean, he wouldn't. I don't believe he would. He's trying to cash out on that late exorcism yeah, right. movie uh, money. Yeah, no kidding. And so, you know, he, he swears he saw this happen, and there was no way for them to hold him down. So, yeah. And so Robbie in a crazy voice says that he will awaken and it says, I'm basically says, I'm going to wake up this kid and I'm going to make him ask for a knife. And the kid wakes up and he asks for a knife. <laughs> but for once, they didn't give him one. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. well, it's only a butter knife. But, <laughs> they you didn't know. give him anything. Thank, thank you. Goodness, yeah. So, and eventually the room starts getting gross again with the smells and everything. And then it's really, really cold. And th- that seems to be a turning point again, but for the worse. Um, Which at, reminded me of the movie version yeah. of The Exorcist. You know, when they were talking about it getting cold and Father yeah. Bowerin was wearing his overcoat. It reminds me of those scenes in the movie where they're, they, you know, they actually filmed that in like a meat locker. Oh. And, and, and for a set. And so they're in there and they're all bundled up and that you can see, see the breath. breath. Yeah. And I mean, that's what that reminded me of. So, I mean, I'm sure that that's, you know, where Laddie probably got the idea right. for it for the book. You know? Right. So things have been getting worse, and now Robbie's freaking out even earlier. And at 8 a.m., he kicks a nurse and then smashes a bottle of holy water. Uh, they try to give him communion and to get him to say, I want to receive you, or like some, you know, thing. Some say, version of it. Yeah, yeah, some version of, you know, I will take this communion. But instead, he says, that isn't enough. 
He has to say one more word, one little word. He'll never say it. He has to make nine communions. He'll never say that word. I am always in him. I may have much power always, but I am... I may, I'm sorry. I may not have much power always, but I am in him. He will never say that word. And he keeps freaking out throughout the day. And nobody really knows, like, what's what's the word? They already right. know the name, Spite, right. or whatever. Right. Um, my question is... St- Okay, you gotta stop giving this kid access to glass and uh, like, plates <laughs> yeah, know, and shit. Right? He just keeps smashing stuff. I know, I know, all over the place. Well, but again, though, it's a different time period. It's not like there was that, plastic sitting around. But you that's know? not no. Like I will not accept that. Hotel cups or something. It was you know that's everybody had glass. I get, you know, I, at least they didn't give him a knife. Again, I'm, I'm back <laughs> okay. on that. After the ice cream thing, I'm just happy they didn't give him a knife. You when, know, when that's like the the good thing to hone in on. Yeah, they exactly, did. That's, that's pretty right? bad, but yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so eventually, Bowdern learned of an 1870 case that took place in Wisconsin that he felt was similar to Robbie's, and so he devised a new strategy. Basically, he wanted to force Robbie to wear a chain of religious medals and hold a crucifix in his hands, and he was determined to ask for the demon's responses in English, not Latin, which was the language of the possessed boy. Uh, and Father Bowden was determined he was going to wait for an unmistakable sign. And that, well, then that kind of goes back to our last episode too, it, with you know, with the asking the demon in you know mm-hmm. to identify itself, because remember in the last episode he was. He said that whenever he would demand that, those questions that that would really cause the activity to ramp up because he felt he was making it angry and then that was the best way to go. So now he switched to doing everything in English because, you know, his theory was that, you know, well, Robbie speaks English. So, you know, that that's what the demon's going to respond to the most. I don't know. Yeah. well, because the playbook since last episode has pretty much been whatever pisses the demon right. off the most. Do that. Do yeah, that keep stuff. doing that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So Robbie comes comes back to us and he starts reading out of his catechism book and he, he starts balancing it on his knees and then his head. <laughs> and then he puts it on his head. And then, then it, of course, then know. it goes flying across the room. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's giving him another projectile. Yes. To, yeah. Exactly. To hurt exactly. With. I could see one of those like bath. And would you like some ice cream to go with? It, so. <laughs> and a baseball bat. I could <laughs> yeah. see one of those like bath time books that you give little kids that are like <laughs> oh, you know right. have air Spongy, in them a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then this is an interesting quote. The boy's tongue began to flick out and his head to move to and fro in a gliding fashion of a snake. Suddenly, he would make a quick movement above, beneath, and alongside the pillow and spit mucus into the exorcist's eyes. Another point where I would have dropped this kid. Uh, Yeah. Because that is just... My note actually says I would have punched him. But you you get the sentiment. So, Robbie, he took a deep breath, and then a a new voice came from his lips. It was loud, clear, masculine voice, and one that was much different from the chilling voice that the Jesuits had gotten so used to hearing. The voice claimed to be that of St. Michael the Archangel, and it ordered the demon to depart. The voice shouted, I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominus, immediately, now, now, now. Father Bowden suddenly realized what the word that Robbie would never say, it was Dominus. That was the word. And if you remember, going back several episodes, Uh when they were at the house in Belnor, that by using the, the name, the name of God that it would it made the, it made everything very violent at the time that mm-hmm. that dates back you know a couple of months so right. good reason they wouldn't remember that you know yeah. so right and so then Robbie had the quote the most violent contortions of the entire period of the exorcism which i think is very iconic of the movie and things that people yeah. remember and yeah. and of exorcisms in general um 
exorcism hannah grace and that kind of thing they actually had a contortionist player but <laughs> anyway um and then eventually robbie it, it seems like it's a movie everything's escalating mm-hmm. and, and getting you know tougher and tougher and you're almost to like the precipice and then robbie sits up and says he's gone and eventually after that robbie starts speaking of the dream that he had where he saw a figure with long flowing hair look kind of like a knight carried a sword and this figure pointed at a dark cave with a demon and other creatures outside of it the angel commands the demon into the cave by saying dominus and as the eventually they push him back into the the cave and as the gate of the cave closes the word spite has been welded onto it everybody's happy everybody rejoices uh they go to church robbie eventually takes a nap wakes up and just can't remember shit yeah it kind of reminds me of, and this is going to be a, this is going to be one of those weird references that most people aren't going to get. But I'm probably one of them. You might, you might, because you saw the movie. But if you read the book It by Stephen King, mm-hmm. at the end of the battle between the kids when they're kids and the, you know, the Pennywise, the the shapeshifter, the creature, It, yes, <laughs> It, um they start not remembering things. Right. It sort of like just drops away where mm-hmm. they vaguely remember bits and pieces, mm-hmm. don't remember. And as the years go by, they don't remember how good of friends they all were. You, and you kind of get that Because they all kind of drifted apart. Or right. the TV series, but not too much. Right, they right. Really but it, when you read the book and you get the, the uh, more of their insides in their side their head, they start forgetting things. And it's not until Mike calls everybody back Mm -hmm. to come back to dairy because everything is happening again then they start remembering things right but this is what that reminded me of because it's like he he remembered everything well he didn't remember a lot of what went on during the exorcism but then he took that nap and then when he woke up at first he didn't know who he was or where where he was was. yeah and then he recognized some of the faces and then and some of the people but that was it couldn't remember anything they told him about anything that had gone on during that time. And it was almost like if you, you know, if you believe in that kind of thing, mm-hmm. that somebody had laid sort of a, a blanket over his mind to make him forget about the things that were too horrible to remember. Yeah. That kind of thing. And, you know, which he swears is what happened. You know, mm-hmm. he remembered Father Bowdern later, you know, um, he wrote some letters to him after he got home. But as for the rest of them, that he really never had any contact with anybody else because he just didn't remember so much of the things that happened. I'm sure that, you know, people told him about it, but he swears that he doesn't remember it. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, whether it, whether it's a demon or, or not, I mean, that PTSD can, sure. I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. I mean, you know, when you look back on it and, and looking at it from a whole different direction, as we've done a few times with this, you know, we're talking about, you know, why didn't, you know, somebody today would have called DCFS and reported them for, you know, abusing this kid. Um, let's let's look at it from a completely different angle and say, and I think I even said this early on, let's say he made the whole thing up and um, and for whatever reason didn't stop it when he had the opportunity. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, you could look at it and say, oh, it was a, it was a, a hoax that went too far. Yeah, I'd say it went way too far. Way too far, yeah. Because, I mean... The things that this kid would have been subjected to if he was faking it, why wouldn't he have stopped? Yeah. At some point, you would go, okay, whoa, whoa, right. whoa, wait. He's a not minute. just getting out I've of school now. I've got six people on top of me pinning me to a bed. People are screaming at me, and you know, you would at some point 
an 11 year old kid is going to go, okay, well, wait a minute. Right. Wait a minute. I made the whole thing up. What's the you time know? period we're dealing with from like start to finish? You, uh, roughly, January, you know? middle of January through uh, latter part of April, 1949. Okay. So just about four months total. Yeah. But when I say beginning, middle of January, I'm talking about that really initial stuff that was happening at the house right. and which kind of stretched it over a few weeks. Yep. So, I mean, they showed up in, um, and the first, the beginning of the, the first night of the exorcism was March 17th mm-hmm. in Belnor. Now there have been things that have been going on before that, but, um, the official exorcism began on March 17th and ended, you know, a little over a month later. Got it. But that's, that's a lot of weeks and a lot of brutality. Yep. You would have, you would, I, I honestly, I think you would have said, I, you know, I give up. Uncle, it's a point. it's a lot of pissing yourself. But, I mean, my point is though is or what I was getting at was that you know if you had all of these things had happened to you and you were not possessed, yeah, um, you would have blocked it out. You definitely would have blocked all this stuff yeah. out. So that all kind of makes sense to me. You know, people who who want to say, oh, well, it can't be real. He claims he doesn't remember. Sure, he doesn't. How would you not remember that? A lot of things that people don't remember the things that happened to them. True. I mean, most there trauma. are there. Yeah. Very traumatic things. People don't remember. Um, I mean, I don't remember a lot of good things that happened to me. When yeah. I, was, I mean, I think back and try to remember stuff or, you know, all, um, you know, in the, in these days of Facebook, you know, I get a friend request from somebody you went to school with and you're like, should I didn't even remember they existed yeah. until I saw that trigger of their name pop up. And I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, they were all right. You know, right. But I don't, really remember them yeah. you know um, well i'm not an expert but i'm i'm guessing that it's it's, it's a survival thing to I not remember so the too. traumatic sure. things that happened absolutely. to you you know absolutely um okay so father bowden was looking for a sign right and at some point uh, everyone hears a loud booming sound that they think coming from the fifth floor and everybody mm-hmm. thinks they fear the worst they run up there and robbie's fine and nobody could ever figure out what the sound was. Instead, it sounded like a transformer blowing right. or something. Yeah. That was never... somebody had found later, I think sometime later, mm-hmm. actually heard a transformer blow up. And it's like, whoa, that's exactly what oh. that sounded like. You know, and they thought maybe a furnace had exploded. I mean, it was so loud, like a cannon going off inside the building. Yeah. So, but Father Bowdern believed that it was the sign he'd been waiting for. Right. That it was finally over. This was a signal that it was finally over. Yeah, so. so so it's finally over, and then everything just ends. No, it goes on to no. inspire pop culture no. for generations, which and, we will. And, and there's up. more. There's there's still more to okay. the story. Um, there's still more about. I mean, before we even get to William Peter Blatty, and before we ever get to The Exorcist, mm-hmm. there's still a lot more St. Louis story to be told. Okay. Now, this is where we get into the realm of. Legend, right? Legend, lore, and all things—a a mixture of truth and probably a lot of fiction, right? But um, there's still plenty of St. Louis story to be told, and that'll be our last episode. Awesome. Uh, we'll get into all of that. We'll talk a little bit about. Um, I, I want to tell you a couple of stories from people I've heard that, you know, have had some involvement with mm-hmm. this story later on, and uh, we'll also talk about you know what happened to. You know, the furniture, uh, the exorcist diary, the, you know, there's a lot of stories still to be told right. in our next episode. And you'll so. talk more about your opinions. I will. I'll, I'll talk more about my, how my opinion about the whole thing has changed. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back and forth. Um, well, I don't want to get into all that. Let's yeah. wait. Let's we'll deal wait with and it. see. We'll yeah. talk about it. So that's where we'll pick up for part six of yes. the St. Louis exorcism. Yes. Okay. So that was a lot. 
Um, I do have a couple requests. Okay. First off, um, a lot, we've been getting a lot of emails at AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com, which is great, and I love that. Um, I feel that I am inadequately prepared to ask you the correct questions. So if anybody has questions that they want me to ask Troy, oh. send them to me. But see, usually if you don't know the answer, you send it to me and I give you an answer. Well, that's yes, that's oh. true. That's not what I mean. Oh, okay. I I have this opportunity here to ask you know the great Troy Taylor some <laughs> questions, and I think that well, there I'll are call him whoever that is. Yeah, well, yeah, we can, can get his number. Him, yeah. but I think that there are other questions out there that other people might be curious about, and I try to kind of I don't know if you've noticed this. People in our reviews seem to have not picked up that I'm not the expert, I'm not the historian, I'm just kind of <laughs> here to ask the the everyman it's kind of questions. Everybody. That's very few people. But I know. There are a few, and then I wonder if they actually listen to our show. Very so. true. They're like Cody doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, yeah, no shit. That's that's kind of the point. That but was I think the point of the podcast. I think I might try to crowdsource because I think other people might have. Uh, very interesting questions to ask you. So if you have any, please email me, AmericanHauntingsPodcast@gmail.com. I'm not going to use it if I don't like it. Not going to lie. <laughs> I'm not going to waste any time, but just wanted to get that out there. Uh, I will have a couple shout-outs that I wanted to give um, to Bonnie, Leah, and Ian from the UK who listened to a certain part of one of our episodes and said, hey, I listened to this part, and they emailed us, let us know. They listened all the way to the end. Oh, yeah, that we did have several people who did say they listened to the end. Yes, yeah, so thank too. you for that. I and because I explicitly too. said, hey, if you listen, you know, send me an email. Okay, but uh, my point is, is that of all the thousands of listens we have yep. every week, yep. like three, like three fucking people listen to the end. I'm I not told saying, you, I'm not no saying one's you're wrong. listening to this. So. I'm not saying you're wrong. <laughs> um, a couple other emails that we had. Andy asked about uh, the rest of the. Uh, Lambert story that we had from episodes 25 and 26 oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and he said you know Troy mentioned that this wasn't the whole story where can it be found and you mentioned it can be found in the book Illinois Hauntings yeah. which you can find at AmericanHauntingsInc.com yeah. and then Holly uh, the woman that mentioned dumplings to us that we oh, yeah, right, right, right. she said she's planning a serious trip to St. Louis thanks to the podcast Oh, wow. which I was like why but great <laughs> Um, and she also mentioned she listened to the end um, and then she told me a very interesting story about uh Georgian Court University, if that's how you pronounce it, um, a college she went to, and there were some pretty crazy tales that she told. So, hey, thank mm, you for listening. Cool. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, and there were a couple of podcasts that actually uh, reached out to us as well. One of them was called Explain to Me Podcast, based out of St. Louis. Uh, so check them out. Uh, we've been tweeting back and forth and uh, hope to collab with them sometime soon. Another was Opinion Overlord. Uh, they do some crazy episodes. One was about Aleister Crowley, episode 83. And if you have a podcast, let me know. I'm not saying I'm going to mention it, but if I like it, I will mention it. AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. The American Hauntings Podcast is a way to combine historic record, folklore, science and observation, and imagination to uncover more about America's most haunted places, including St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, hey, you know what? I forgot. Since <laughs> what do you, we, what no, you one, no one listens to this part anyway. <laughs> what do you got? Um, I just wanted to, I didn't, I never added that I wanted to thank people for listening. Oh. I forgot. That's so nice of you. Well, I know, but we appreciate it. And we hope that people will share it with their friends. So. Oh, do we, well, we did that review us on iTunes. Yes, please review us. I, I love looking forward to them. So you know what I do? What does get on my nerves though is when people are like, "Great podcast, love it, keep up the good work," and they give us four stars. I'm like, but but what? But why? Well, well we can't. Yeah. Anyway, well, I, people do that. People do that all the time. I know, well, and I mean, the it's best ever. 
four stars. It's fine, but like, tell me, tell me what the last star was, so I can either, I can either adapt or I can disagree. You know, one, one of the <laughs> well, two. Well, yeah, but you can't. That's the problem. I well, I know in my own so, head though. No, we just address it on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. People leave us stupid reviews about how <laughs> I don't, I talk, I don't talk uh, as slow as Mark Twain. <laughs> how the hell would you know? So they yeah. know. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, Samuel Clemens. You don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> anyway. I'd like to hear your recordings of Mark Twain, but let's leave that alone. So. American Hauntings is a bi-weekly podcast. You can hear new episodes every other Tuesday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and help us take a brand new look at history no and hauntings. You can learn oh, more about our podcast. Four people. And find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com, where we also have links to some of Troy's books, as well as information about his upcoming ghost tours, events, haunted happenings, and apparently comedy album. (laughs) As for your host, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CodyBeckSTL or at CodyBeck.com. You can find Troy on Instagram at TroyTaylorGram, on Facebook at the Troy Taylor Author Page, or at AmericanHauntings.net. This episode of... This episode of the podcast was written by Troy Taylor and was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. <laughs> I think that's going to be our thing now. I do the outro and he fucks it up. Yeah, I like it. It's fun. I'm down. All right, cool. <laughs>